This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash. Hmm. You can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of Hefty Large Black Bags. Blog Talk Radio. You're about to hear a revolution in talk radio. Liberty Talk Radio, where the critical thinking will defrag your mind of propaganda-ridden viruses induced by mass media news programming. No BS here, just the facts. And now we present to you America's quintessential iconoclastic anomaly. Wow. In Talk Radio, your host, Joe Cristiano. Welcome, everyone, to Liberty Talk Radio, America's libertarian voice, broadcasting from our studio in Tulsa, Oklahoma, to around the world. I'm your host, Joe Cristiano, and this is your antidote to popular talk radio. Folks, it's time for us to take back control of our government, now before this bureaucratic, oversized, and self-serving federal government starves us of our property, our freedom, our rights, and our liberty. But to do this, we must shed conventional thinking regarding our political structure. We need to be revolutionaries in thought, dissidents in action. Only after we recognize what our government is doing to our freedom and our constitution will we start taking it back. And this program is just about that. Today, we're pleased and honored to have Mr. Patrick Wood. He's the author of Technocracy Rising, the Trojan Horse of Global Transformation and co-author of Triadals Over Washington with the late Anthony C. Sutton. His website is not about bashing technology. It is about technocracy. We love technology when it serves us. Patrick will explain why he feels technocracy is a clear and present danger to humanity, but it cannot, cannot resist until it is understood. I can't wait to hear what he has to say, by the way. And while during our live broadcast, we invite our listeners to call in with your questions or comments, 646-652-4620, 646-652-4620. And once you get on, it press the one button if you're listening by phone. But you can press the one button and we know you want to break in and then you can join our conversation. All right. Uh, Pat, welcome to Liberty Talk Radio. Hey, thanks, Joe. I appreciate you having me on today. Oh, it's, it's, it's my pleasure. Believe me. Now, uh, for for my sake, and of course, sake for everyone listening, what is technocracy? Yeah, what the heck is it? Yeah. Right, I know, I get this. But I use the term because it is the historically correct term to use. So bear with me, I guess, for a minute. Technocracy back in the 1930s was a replacement economic system designed by prominent scientists and engineers of that day many of whom were at Columbia University, by the way. They designed a replacement economic system because they thought that capitalism and free enterprise was dead. Now, you can appreciate that part, I guess, in the Great Depression. But the big heads that they had, they figured that they could apply the scientific method to any problem in society, including society itself, 
and that they could figure out how to run society better than anybody else, including politicians. It was a radical, a very radical philosophy or a system, if you will, in that they wanted to completely get rid of politicians altogether, dismiss Congress, you know, get rid of the president, get rid of all the other trappings of, of government and stuff. They thought politicians were stupid, bumblers. Oh, wait, that's what we think today, too. But, well, bring it down. No, no, no. <laughs> Well, you, you beat know, me but, to the punch there, by the way. <laughs> yeah. uh, You've got to laugh at this stuff a little bit. Yeah. But uh, this is deadly serious. These people didn't get any traction in their day. By the end of the 1930s, technocracy had pretty much been rejected in the United States. Even though at one time, Joe, they had over 500,000 card-carrying, dues-paying members. Yeah, that's huge. There's a huge organization. Yes. And so they kind of went down in the 40s and 50s. And, and during the 60s, there started to be a resurgence again of talk about technocracy. Now, this was to be an, a resource-based economic system, not based on supply and demand, not based on you know market forces and so on. It was to be a completely controlled a system of produ production as well as consumption. We now know this system today as sustainable development, which we see coming at us from the United Nations. That's the way it worked out. I can explain why if we have time. But technocracy, as we see it today, is a resource-based economic system that proposes to get rid of political structures and simply let the scientists and engineers run everything. Now, you, some will say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, if you don't like the concept of a scientific dictatorship, you'll have no problem with it, right? I mean, if, if, but if you kind of think the idea of a scientific dictator, well, okay, what's a scientific dictatorship? Go back and read George Orwell's 1984 or Better yet, Aldous Huxley's book, Brave New World, from 1932. Right. Now, I just mentioned 1932 to you as the, well, maybe I didn't, but that was the year that technocracy was at Columbia University. Aldous Huxley was a Brit who well understood what was going on at Columbia University because that was the seat of progressive thinking of that day. He was a Brit looking across the pond he looked and saw technocracy and said, there's a book in this. And he wrote, he wrote the book, Brave New World, Scientific Dictatorship, where everything is micromanaged from cradle to grave, and basically you either go with the flow or you get ejected out the back door into the waste bin. Right. This is crazy stuff, I realize. But when you consider what the United Nations has done all over the planet, with sustainable development. That's an economic term, not a political term. You'll find what I found is that sustainable development is nothing more than warmed over technocracy from the 1930s. This is it. This is the same thing. And these people are pulling it off, including in our country, under names like Agenda 21, for instance, 2030 Agenda, 
uh, new urban agenda that just got passed by the United Nations. They've got all the nations of the world participating with the sustainable development crackpot scheme that has never been tested. It has never been proven whatsoever that it's ever going to work. My contention, as one with an economic background, I'm not a professor of economics or anything, but uh, actually my writing partner, Anthony Sutton, was a professor of economics. So that's my connection, I guess, to anything of higher and you know thought. But as an, as an economist, there is no way that sustainable development, aka technocracy, will work. It simply won't work for all kinds of reasons, but nobody's talking about this. Now, we look around the world and wonder, why is the world upside down economically? Why is it upside down even politically as well? But this is why. Because there are two economic systems in play in the world today, this technocracy or sustainable development and capitalism and free enterprise. They don't mix. They, will, they can't mix. It's not just oil and water. It's like matter and antimatter. Well, That's it in a nutshell. If, if you take, for example, when a, a, a city government plans a community or even puts deed restrictions in a certain area, would that be in that, in that area of, of technocracy where people cannot build what they want to build on their property but it's scientifically designed for a particular area and usually does more harm than good, never works out. And either you have a slum or you have housing that you can't afford, you know, or housing that's inconvenient to live in. Uh, Is that part of it or is that, am I reaching over the line? Not at all. This is exactly what it is. Everything that came down from agenda 21 which was specified at the Rio de Janeiro conference. It was the first, called the first Earth Summit, 1992. Everything that came out of that document called Agenda 21, that book, by the way, is still available on Amazon for about 40 bucks. You can buy it, recommend people buy it and read it. You think it's a myth, go buy it and read it. Yeah. Agenda 21 is all the, spe- all the specification on land use policies, on property rights policies, What you're describing is an implementation of Agenda 21 by stealth in cities and counties around America. It's happened right right under our nose for the last, whatever, 35 years. It's been astounding that they could get away with this in our country, right under our nose. Nobody paid attention to it. I can tell you why as well, because while everybody is busy fighting, the political war, right? Democrats, Republicans, liberals, conservatives, you know, Clintons versus the Bushes or whatever. Well, all these political battles have been going on. Everybody's involved in that. This economic, this business economic thing has been going on right under our nose and literally has stolen our country. I see. They've just, they've, they've sandbagged our entire nation. And people are just kind of wondering, how did this happen? You know, how, where did we get these crazy policies? Where did this EPA thing come from that just wrecked ranching and farming and wrecked so many industries and stuff? 
how could these people, you know, get along in our government? This is how. Because they did it under the guise of sustainable development, which the United Nations has peddled as the most wonderful thing since in the history of the world. They say it's going to eliminate poverty, it's going to have jobs for all, it's going to be uh, development forever, it's going to be uh, everybody has, you know, maximum leisure time. It promises all of these utopian things that who would say no? Who doesn't want to eliminate poverty? You don't want to eliminate poverty? Why, what kind of person are you? You know, it's like, but they, they float all these promises, but they can't deliver. They can't possibly deliver on these promises. And in the fine print down in their documents, all you have to do to get those things is give up control over all production and all consumption. They want, they want to tell you first what you can make as a businessman, but then they want to tell you what you're allowed to consume as a consumer. But we, gen- we're about halfway there now, aren't we? I mean, it's like saying, I tell my wife, I said, uh, uh, just give me enough money to go to the girly bar and I'll be a better husband, right? Is, is, that, is that what we're saying? <laughs> <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good one. <laughs> All right, you can use it. I'll tell you, it's, it's not copyrighted. You can keep it, okay? But, yeah. but we're doing that now in so many ways. The government has, it gives us we – we need permission to do absolutely everything. Um, I was Believe it or not, I was getting a haircut the other day. Would you believe it? My four strands – and I don't get a discount, which really hacks me off. But Because uh, I wish I had hair like you. And, but I, it, it left for some reason. It didn't like me. Um, and, and I was asking the gal, I said, you know, did, did you have to go to school for this or did you just learn from someone? She said, no, I had to go to cosmopology school. Is that the term? Yeah, okay. Cosmetology, cosmetology school. That's right. Yeah. You know, I said, wow. I said, uh, what, just to cut hair? She says, well, you really have to learn everything. You just can't cut hair. You have to learn to dye hair and all that. I said, well, you're not dyeing my hair. What do you need that for? And she says, well, that's, that's the law. And... Um, I said, can I ask how much it costs? She said, yeah. She said, I think it was a, a 10 months. It was $24,000. I, I, I fell out of the chair. I, I couldn't believe it. I said, back, back in the old days, I, I know people hear that expression, but, you know, you, your, 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 your Uncle Sam was a barber. You, you came in, he taught you how to, how to cut hair, and you cut hair. Worst thing that happened, you gave a guy a bad haircut. He never came back. <laughs> your, your uncle smacked you in the head. And that, and that corrected everything. You became a good bobber after that. But it, it seems that we've taken all the self-responsibility and, and consequences out of life when we take that away. You know, the, the regulations that you speak of are certainly, um, they're overwhelming. They're yeah. everywhere. This is a mentality, a trickle-down mentality that's been coming at us probably for, you know, 100 years. And it's totally out of control today. Um, but... Even, even more direct than that, uh, for instance, if a scientist were to tell you that cattle are not sustainable because they produce too much methane gas, therefore we need to get rid of cattle and ranching, um, what would you say? Well, we just don't need ranching. Or, well, let's put, as California wants to do, let's put a methane collectors on all the cattle to collect their poop 
little poop bags, you know, hanging off the back of the cattle. Um, How about UCLA just the other day came out with an article. uh, This is the environmental, what I call, and it's kind of eco-fascist, but they came out with a study that says that your pets, your little dog and your, your dog and your cat or whatever, your pets are not sustainable because they also, they, they consume too much stuff that, you know, that gives off carbon and they give off way too much methane in their poop. So therefore, what's the answer? You should not have those pets. You should consider giving up your pets or the next time you need a pet, don't get one. Now, you, you say, well, what if, I, what if I really like my cats? Or what if I really like my, my, my dogs? You know, some people really do. They treat them like family. Oh, yeah. We have, th- we have three. We uh, help adopt dogs and all that stuff. My wife is part of, helps the Animal Rescue Foundation. And, uh, you know, she, I tell you, she lives for that stuff. I mean, she's an ornithologist, but that's what a hobby is, you know. What is she going to say when these people, like from UCLA, come to her and say, you know, lady, you are really selfish and consuming too many resources of the world because you have so many pets. A responsible, sustainable citizen may have one pet, but it's going to be a small one. <laughs> right, yeah. And otherwise, we're going to penalize you and charge you an extra fee because you have three pets instead of one. Yeah. Well, my wife would turn this- around to me and say, honey, kill that man. <laughs> right, I get yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but this is the mentality that these people have. They think that they can use their quote-unquote science, which really is pseudoscience as far as I'm concerned, oh, yeah. not real science at all, but they've turned it into a religion to where when their oracle of science speaks to them, right, they, the, their priesthood, they listen very carefully to see what science says. And if science says your pets are unsustainable, aha, you know, that's all they need. They go back out then as the, as the priesthood, if you will, and they come and they speak to you and me as their would-be followers, and they say, the oracle of science says, you need to get rid of those pets. Or as in China, they might say, you know what? You young people, uh, forget having a family of three or four. The responsible thing to do is just have a family of one, and maybe even you should consider not having any kids at all because so many other people are abusing the privilege. Yeah. Well, let me, let me ask this. This is uh, probably an, in a, probably not a well thought out question, <laughs> but when we talk about science and politics and, and humanity, uh, uh, what comes to mind is the religion of Scientology. It, it, it seems that Scientology dictates to everyone exactly what they can do how much they can do, how much they can have, and everything. It seems that everything, their whole life is controlled around the, the precepts of Scientology. And I know very little about the religion. I'm not part of it or anything like that. But it, it almost sounds that way. Is Scientology part of this? Actually, Scientology is not directly part of this. Although, you know, you look at the autocratic aspects of Scientology, and you say, yeah, there's, there's kind of a mindset here. You know, yeah, it's right. the same. Like, we want to get our hooks in you, and we want to control you right. down to the nap whisker. Right. But uh, scientism is really the, the underlying philosophy 
of both technocracy, primarily technocracy. There's another side part of it too called transhumanism, which is the transformation of humanity. Uh, they're both based on scientism. And scientism originally started back with a French philosopher in around 1800 by the name of Henri de Saint-Simon. And what he said in one of his essays, he said, and this is a direct quote, he said, a scientist, my dear friends, is a man who foresees. It is because science provides the means to predict that it is useful, now listen, and the scientists are superior to all other men. Hmm. Now, this is what they get out of bed with first thing in the morning. Yeah. This idea that scientists are better than all other men. Why? Because they can predict the future. They can, they can look, they can look at their science and they can look and extrapolate where history is going. And they can use science to, you know, to chart the course, if you will. This is insanity. It's a religion is what it is, but it's a, it's a false religion that it completely excludes God. I might say completely excludes any other form of protest. An example, Al Gore, climate change, right. yeah. global warming, yeah. right? He's a technocrat, Ev I guess. He is. Evidence has been presented that climate change, global warming, is not only a myth, but it has actually been um, almost a criminal operation. There's several people actually in jail for fraudulently changing data that was used to support global warming. Okay. Now, in spite of that, Al Gore just released another movie uh, about global warming. It's not getting a very good reception, by the way, but he released another movie. And this is the second movie on the topic. And Al Gore continues to insist that the seas are going to rise and that the ice caps are going to melt and we're all going to die if we don't do something right now about, about global warming. Now, this has turned into a religion because they now say that if you don't agree with them, you are a denier. They call, they, they say that, you're a denier. And you know what? They also say deniers deserve to be punished. Now, this is, this is fascist mentality almost that we used to hear back with Hitler. You know, this, this right. mentality, you don't agree with me, I'm going to punish you and I might even kill you. Right. <laughs> you know, it hasn't gotten that far yet in America. But this kind of mentality, this religious inquisition, is one of the most dangerous things that America has ever faced. And I, I, that's why I'm kind of hopping up and down about it, Joe. It is serious. And it is right here, right now. Now, is, 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 is there a way to determine whether or not a politician is a technocrat? Um, I mean, I'm sure there's some that reject it and some that are adopt it and some that are on the fence and whatever. Is there any way to give each one of, uh, each one of our political, I hate to say leaders, I'll, yeah. you know, I'll, what do you call them, those those? Those clowns that sit in the chair and steal our money, whatever they could yeah. clowns. The clowns in Washington. We, can we determine which clowns in Washington where they the, where they uh, sit right now? I mean, where, where they stand. You can find out uh, what kind of useful idiot they are to the technocrats. 
but I use that term on purpose. That, that's what we use. That's what the Russians used to call the people who were helping the, the, the you know, the, the communist revolution. Yeah. But they, they thought it was good and they thought they were helping, but, and they did help. But in the end of it, the revolution turned around and killed them. And they said, well, they were just useful idiots for a period of time. Right. This is the way revolutions have always been fomented. There's always a group of sympathizers, like back in World War II, Neville Chamberlain was the famous sympathizer for Hitler. You know, and he said, oh, Hitler's going to be fine. Hey, you, know, you don't worry about him. We're going to have peace in our time. And he brought, you know, he said, I got a document here. I saw, you know, whatever. And, of course, World War II, II broke out soon thereafter, and Britain fought for its life. But the politicians of today are hated by technocrats. They were hated in the 1930s. And they're still hated today. The politicians are nothing more than useful idiots for these people to get what they want until they're done with them. And there's going to be a day, I promise you, there's going to be a day when the tide is going to turn against these people and the technocrats are going to throw them under the bus and they're going to be out, not only out of a job, they may well be in a concentration camp somewhere. Right. That's how strongly technocrats feel about, you know, about politicians. And I might add, there was a, a global scholar by the name of Prague Khanna just wrote a book in January of this year called Technocracy in America. And this guy is a respected global scholar. He speaks of all the big mucky muck things around the world, the, you know, the, the G20 and the G8 conferences and the World Economic Forum and all that kind of stuff. They love this guy. He wrote the book, Technocracy in America, in which he says, democracy is dead and what we need is technocracy. Now, a direct technocracy, as he called it, like Singapore has. And he says, the first thing we need to do is dismiss the Senate. Oh, how about get rid of the Senate? Who needs the Senate anymore? He says, no, we should replace them with an assembly of governors. Then he says, we should get rid of the office of the president. No, 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 one president, that's stupid. You need a committee of presidents, six or seven people that rotate turns as being the chairman of the board or whatever. This is technocracy even from the 1930s, but they're saying it today, you see. He goes on to say that the Constitution, for instance, should be turned over to the Supreme Court for modification, to be updated, to be more in tune with what society really wants. So the Senate can't control the Constitution anymore because it's gone, (laughs) right? Now, this 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 is as radical as if some hardcore communist like Lenin walked into our capital and said, I'm taking over now, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to get rid of the Senate. President, go home. We don't want you anymore. And the Supreme Court is going to radically change, and we're going to institute a board of policy advisors that are going to finally run this country with scientific acumen. Now, if somebody walked in and said that, you would throw him out. You would get the military and run him out through the port, wherever he came in, you'd run him back to where we came from and said, don't ever come back, right? Right. <laughs> but Prad Khanna, because he's a global scholar, says it, nobody listens, nobody even blinks an eye. And he has validated, by the way, everything that I have said 
before he wrote this book, he has validated, thank you very much, Dr. Kata, what I have been saying about technocracy being the most dangerous and clear and present danger that America has. I, I would imagine that many of our elected officials are technocrats, but don't know it. They've been indoctrinated to think that they are Democratic representatives, but they're actually technocrats, you know, but in disguise, but don't recognize that that's what they are doing. They think they are obeying the Constitution when they're doing the exact opposite. Is that that valid or is that just a... I I think that's exactly right. Most of these people are just willing, they're, they're ignorant dupes. You know, they're, they're playing along with the program. They don't have a clue what it's all about. I'll give you an example. If you go out into most uh, city councils or into uh, county commissioners and you ask them, do you know anything about Agenda 21? That they're going to turn around and say, that's a myth. There's no such thing. There's no Agenda 21. It's certainly not here. But back in 1994, thanks to Bill Clinton, they changed they changed the name that they use in our country, Agenda 21. They said, we can't use that because it's too recognizable. They said, we're going to use another term. We call it smart growth. <laughs> smart growth. Now, you ask them, well, have you heard of smart growth? Oh, yeah. You know, that's great, wonderful stuff. Well, you know, smart growth is Agenda 21. <laughs> no, it's not. It can't be. But you go back and you show, actually show them the video where they were stating this. Yeah. that we have to call it smart growth instead of Agenda 21? It's like, boing, boing, you know, it's like, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> but this is what they did in our country, and it's everywhere. You know, m- many, um, I shouldn't say many, but several people that I have interviewed on this program who are quite wealthy, I mean, in the multi-million dollar to billion dollar class, one thing they have in common, very few, well, I should say very few of them live in the United States, but are U.S. citizens. They, they opted out. They're still American citizens, but they have residency outside the confounds of the United States. And they all talk about they would prefer to be outside the United States. It gives them more freedom. They, you know, they don't feel restricted by all of the legislation that's in the United States that prevents them to do from, from doing what they want to do. Now, these yes. guys are, you know, obviously in the top tier and, but I guess they're saying the same thing that they, they can't, you know, they can't do what they want to do because of uh, all the regulations and technocracy must be a good portion of that. Although I have not heard that term from them. Yeah. If they understood the uh, what it was all really what it was all about, um, they would understand that technocracy is going to take all their money one day, yeah. all of it. They will lose it all, yeah. <clears throat> because technocracy left no room for private property whatsoever. They said private property was that's that's the problem, not just the solution. It's the problem that private property is why we have all the trouble we have. Therefore, take private property away and lease everything to everybody. And they don't need to have money stored up. So the original technocrats actually said, we're going to have an energy currency where you, we're just going to give you a script at the end of, at the beginning of a month, you go out and pay for things, goods and services based on 
pricing based on how much energy went into producing the goods and services you want to purchase, an energy currency. And they said at the end of the month, your, your script would just um, uh, would expire and you couldn't carry it over to the next month. That meant you couldn't save up any money. Right. That meant you had no property, couldn't buy anything, and that meant that you had no inheritance to leave your leave your children, and you're living at the instance of the people who were giving you the energy credits. Right. This is insanity. This is you know, you want to know what, what made America great? It wasn't it, our political system is important, but that's just a container. That's like the that's like the casing on a on a walnut, right? We need the structure. But what made America great was our economic system and its guarantee that we could have and enjoy private property. Right. That is why America has been the greatest economic power in the history of the world. And so, you know, you take away private property, you take away the, the ability to save, you've got nothing. We will be back in the dark ages in a, in a neo-feudalistic system where we're all living at the instance of the land barons, if you will, who own everything. And if they don't like you, it's just, you know, just flick you off the face of the earth. And that's the end of you. This is, this is not what America wants. And it's not what America signed up for. And it's not what anybody bargained for. In your research, have you, def- uh, have you identified um, out- p- politicians who are in fact technocrats, and, I, and let me throw in, including our president and vice president as well. <clears throat> Is there a way to do that, or there's no way to define that or determine whether or not in their approval or disapproval of certain uh, policies or um, legislation that shows that they lean to one direction or the other, or they, they're all bought in, in already? My experience so far is that whether Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative, there is a propensity from kind of from different angles, everybody's playing into the game. Okay. The Republican side plays into the business game, right? Where, hey, it's just business, public-private partnerships. Uh, it's about money. It's about green e- economics. It's about international trade, et cetera. The Democrats, the liberal side of it, they buy into it from another direction, from the, from the social micromanagement point of view. And it's interesting, I'm not a Democrat, by the way, but it is interesting that the Democrats, in many cases, understand this issue better than the Republicans do. Well, I, I, I can understand that. Yeah. So, you know, but anytime you find a politician that is going along with policies where you can tell that the policies are technocratic policies, at least you could say, well, there's a sympathizer. Maybe they don't know what they're doing. Maybe they don't know that they're playing into this other game, but they're doing it anyway. You know, like, like people who follow John McCain, right? He's, he's out here in Arizona. Um, all the people that follow John McCain don't really know what John McCain does or what he stands for. Right. Absolutely. Right. But they vote for they vote for them anyway. Yeah. Well, what what's the solution? Is it to bail out the United States, uh, 
friend of mine moved to Ecuador, for example. I mean, he, he still yeah. you know, he still works here. He has a company here, but he has a place in Ecuador, and he spends half the year in Ecuador and half the yeah. about half the year in the United States, and he goes mm-hmm. back and forth. And uh, his only complaint about Ecuador, uh, he lives near the beach and the whole bit, the Pacific Ocean and or the Pacific yeah. Pond, as he calls it. And uh, people, they're very pleasant. They're very nice to him. You know, he has a little condo, nothing fancy, whatever. Um, he said, the only problem with Ecuador, it's boring. <laughs> he says, if you're not out fishing or farming, he said, there's nothing to do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Wow. But, but oh, uh, he says, does, he have, to go does he have to. a guest house? <laughs> yeah, and he invites us that all the time. My wife and I think we're finally going to go this year. But um, um, and he says the only thing you have to be concerned. He says don't build a house near one of the three uh, um, volcanoes they have. He says that's the only thing you have to worry about. Right, he says right. yeah, they have an autocratic government, but no one listens, no one yeah. cares, you know, and that's it. Um, but I, I just want. Right, so what is the the average American to do? I mean, how do we yeah. fight this? This I'll tell you. Um, this is my my very strong opinion on this. Okay. Forget national politics altogether. Right. Forget forget wasting time on whether you know we got this guy or that guy in office. That that means nothing. The the insulation that we need can only be found on a local government basis. People need to get into their city councils. They need to get into their county commissioners' heads. They need to get into them. They need to go to the meetings and find out what they're doing and educate these people find ones that you can cooperate with and get them on your side and if you get a knucklehead who really does kind of see what you're saying but he refuses to go around and change policy get rid of him get him out do whatever you have to do to vote him out of your city council to vote him out of your county commissioners and set your own local community straight and people say well how can i make a difference let me give you a tangible example visa just came out with a program 10 days ago, where they're giving restaurants $10,000 to abandon cash altogether. Can you imagine in America, legal tender, cash, legal tender, it says so on your money, that it's legal tender for all debts and whatever. So Visa is going around the country offering money to restaurants who will go cashless and only use credit cards and refuse to accept cash. Now look, a city council can issue a binding resolution to forbid Visa from coming into their city and doing that kind of transaction. They can stop them cold where they can. They, They may want to come in, they can't come in because the city says no. Now people say, well, that doesn't make any sense. Do you know how many cities around America who have blocked Walmart from coming in? That's right. I tell you what, there's a lot of you don't hear about it because the media won't report it. Right. But your city council and your county sheriff can stop these people cold if you get them to do it. But they've got to grow a backbone and say, you know what? We're not going to allow somebody like a visa to come in. If they come in here, it's, it's illegal, we'll throw them in jail. And they won't come in and do it. Now, you multiply that by 50 other policies that you, we've been talking about, things like land use properties, you know, all the regulations and stuff that are coming on top of us. The city council could make a clean sweep and throw out 
all of these Agenda 21 sustainable development policies and say, don't ever come back to our city. They could do that. What about cryptocurrencies? Is that anti-technocracy, although it's high-tech stuff? Yeah. This is part of the cashless movement, by the way, right now. Right. I'm convinced that. There's There's a move to strip cash out of society on a global basis. India, Europe, China, America, Canada, every continent is making a move to strip cash altogether out of society forcing everybody into a digital system. Right. Beware. Because (laughs) central banks are already looking at crypto, blockchain currencies, to substitute for money that they have now. Nobody really considered this at first, but now that the Bitcoins and the other, Dogecoin, whatever, the other cryptocurrencies have grown to the significance that they have, they have become a threat to the central banking system, all of which, by the way, are bought into sustainable development and technocracy, right? Right. And now they're looking at ways to use blockchain currency to control all society. This is a dangerous trend. China just announced, by the way, a big program to use blockchain currency in China to send out electronic invoices and tax bills to people where they can pay their tax bills. Like, this is, we're going to see the encroachment of, of governments and central banks into the blockchain area where the risk is one day they're going to look at a, at a Bitcoin and they're going to say, Bitcoin, you're out. Uh, whatever our central bank currency is in, Maybe they'll give you uh, a grace period to convert your Bitcoins into the new currency. But all I'll say is the central banks are coming for okay. our wealth. So the, 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 the central banks will, will have to identify the alternate cryptocurrencies and delegitimize them and uh, outlaw them, basically. Say, you, mm-hmm. you know, you get arrested if you use them or something. Or you, right. But I don't know how they can do that because right now it's international and – there's no way, f- I, I, I'm not a technocrat at all, but uh, <laughs> apparently there's no way to get, you yeah. know, to, to identify what it is, where it is, where it's from, but people are using it. People are using Bitcoin right now, uh, replacing the U.S. dollar, but that's outside yeah. the auspices of, of, the, of the U.S. government. Yes, it is. And, so, here's, how they're, you know, and here's how they're doing it. I'll just, I'm, I'm not an expert. Either. I have a, quite a bit of an economic financial background. But the, the currency, the Bitcoin currency is wonderful for transactions that you don't want, you know, that you want anonymity, yeah, right? Right. So you can make a transaction overseas, boom, and a heartbeat is done. The guy gets paid. You get your whatever it is you ask for, and everybody's happy. But here's where they get you. They're currently stripping cash out of the system. Now, if I have $10,000, let's say, sitting in my home safe, and I want to use my $10,000 to go out and buy Bitcoin so that I can make a transaction. I could do that. Pretty, I could find somebody probably that would do it. But, um, and if, but if somebody sent me some Bitcoin, let's say $10,000 worth, and I wanted to, to get it out of Bitcoin and back into cash, you see, I could pull it out and put it back in my safe, perhaps. But if I take that $10,000 and take it to the bank and try to deposit it in my bank account, you know what happens? They report me to the feds for potential money laundering. Oh, okay. Now, 
is 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 Trump? Did I ask this question? Is Trump part of the technocracy movement, or is can he spell technocracy? Yeah, just like democracy, it's a te- <laughs> technocracy. Right, technocracy. <laughs> democracy. Technocracy. I mean, <laughs> is, 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 is you think he's part of this movement or you, or, or what? Because I know there are people know. right in the studio here who are Trump fanatics, you know, yeah. and uh, they should be on drugs or something, some medical, something very strong. <laughs> and um, but uh, stop booing me. That's not very nice. Um, uh, but I, I won't say they're clinically crazy, but this is a borderline cases. And but is 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 he a technocrat or he is he probably oblivious to what's going on? I think he's oblivious to a lot of it. And uh, on one hand, I have to say there are some things, especially maybe in the social area, that that I think maybe Trump has has done some things that make people smile and it's probably good for America. But on the other hand, some of the some of the technocrat initiatives that are being uh, allowed to slip through without any check from the government, apparently, indicates an insensitivity to this whole business of technocracy mm-hmm. and sustainable development. They just don't see it. Yeah. Now, Trump, Trump is a business guy, right? He's a, he's a real estate no, I, guy. I don't know that. I mean, I, everyone says that. Well, but I'm a businessman. I have three companies. You know, and, and every time I – the, the decisions that he's made so far, <laughs> I, I, I shudder. I go, I would never do that. And not that I'm yeah. the most successful guy in the world. I've helped – Several people start businesses. I've lost a lot of money in doing that, whatever. And I, you know, I'm I'm no Donald Trump. But everyone says, well, he's a businessman, and so many decisions that he's made, just absolutely, just the antithesis of what I would do. And of course, every time someone says that, I said, yeah, he's been so successful. He's he's um, he's uh, uh, filed bankruptcy six times and been through three wives. So, I mean, that's not a very good track record thus far, you know. Yeah, yeah. I know, Sally, well, yeah. you've been through 14 marriages, but that's another story. All right. But, okay. yeah. but let me ask you this question. Silver, uh, uh, hard currencies, uh, hard money, silver, yeah. gold, platinum, whatever. What happens to those jewels? Well, in America, there's not an immediate threat to confiscate gold. There's a policy in India, as India went cashless, they also put imposition on the amount of gold ownership that people were allowed. That's bloody serious. Uh, and America has a history of having their gold stolen, of course, with, uh, <clears throat> with FDR in 1933, right. when he said, bring all your gold coins in. Yeah. So <clears throat> you, can't, you can't automatically assume, but you know, that the gold and silver can always be safe. However, um, I know that there are a lot of people in America today who own gold and silver who will never give it up in a thousand years. I don't care who comes to their door. They're, they're not going to tell them and they're not going to give up their gold. Right. So, you know, that, that could, that could lead to some very cost, very severe consequences in society if they would try that again. But, you know, who knows? I don't know. Uh, personally, you know, I love gold and silver. I would always accept it personally as money. Um, and I, I know there's a lot of people that feel like me. But in the end of things, tech, if technocracy wins, there will be no wealth. Right. There, in the end of it, there will be no wealth. Yep. You know, recently I, I, I invested in the Marinia Project. Have you heard of that? That's the, that is a... 
um, ocean-based society. And they're buying this gigantic barge, and I haven't seen the exact the blueprints of it, but it's a gigantic barge which serves as a center of town, if you will, that's going to be somewhere they suspect in the Bahamas, about three miles offshore enough that you can, if you had a sailboat or a, a speedboat, you can get to shore, and probably near Puerto Rico, by the way, probably they're not sure yet, and yet they're going to build a community out at sea. So they will not be under the auspices of any government whatsoever, but you can maintain your citizenship of the government that you, the country that you come from. <laughs> I bought in. <laughs> I thought it was a great idea. I mean, even if I don't do it at all, which yeah. I doubt I will, I thought it was such a good idea. I, I wanted to give them my money just to help, help the yeah. cause. Yeah. What, what do you think of that? I mean, it's, it's your well, that sounds pretty cool. I know that there's, there's other people who have kind of postulated, you know, this kind of thing before, and it's a good idea. One drawback is not everybody can do it, uh, obviously. You know, a few, a few might be able to, and uh, if you can't find, it's like leaving the country. Right. Some people can. Okay, I, I, if, I was, if I had that kind of money, I might leave the country too. I probably would. Yeah. But, you know, the majority of people are stuck where they are, and they have to, you know, survive right where they are. And at the end of it, we're talking about a survival, whether, whether you're able to survive longer. <clears throat> Let me give you another idea of what the problem with gold. If all of society falls apart, technocracy wins, and you're sitting there with, uh, say, 500 gold coins. Yeah. You can use your 500 gold coins to spend for goods and services for a period of time, maybe, maybe a year, maybe five years, maybe 10 years. You could be one of the, you know, kind of living high on the hog, so to speak, while everybody else is like in the gutter. <clears throat> but eventually, your gold is going to run out, and they haven't given you any way to replenish the stock that you're spending. Right. The gold that you're spending. Yeah. So in the end of it, you're going to run out of gold as well. But I'll be in Ecuador. But you'll be in Ecuador. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe but, Costa Rica by then. I don't know. Costa Rica but, even better, right? Well, Pat, you know, we've 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 taken three minutes more than we promised we would go. The maximum is we've been here forty eight minutes. Well, we're having so, fun. Well, we're I've having fun. thoroughly enjoyed this. I've learned a lot. I really appreciate it. Allow me to give you the last minute just to wrap things up and uh, inform our listeners how they may, you know, get your book and your website and learn more about technocracy. Well, my. My website is technocracy.news, T-E-C-H-N-O-C-R-A-C-Y dot news. And my book's available there, uh, both Trilateral's Over Washington, the original book, and Technocracy Rising. They're both available, however, on Amazon, too. If you want quick delivery and whatever, I like to send out an autographed book, personally, uh, and I will for my website. But if you want a book and you don't care, get it from Amazon. Right. point is, get it. And then you can read, there's lots of videos. I, I have a daily news feed that picks stories from all over the world about technocracy, and I put them up on technocracy.news so people can see from their mouth what they're saying. Right. Not just what I'm writing. You need, to, you need to hear what these people are saying. And if you don't agree with it, I don't care. That's fine. If maybe you really like what they're saying. But at least you need to see what it is. And don't just take my word for it. Because I'm just a guy, right? <laughs> well, Pat, thank you so much. You've been an informative, uh, educational, and absolutely delightful guest. And I do hope you will accept our invitation to return at a later date and give us an update of what is going on in the technocracy arena. 
I'd love to. Okay. I thank you for your time and right. your show. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate it very much. Folks, this is the end of today's broadcast. We'd like to thank our sponsors for the financial support, and we'd like to thank you for listening in. You can further the cause of liberty by recommending this program to your friends and let us hear from you. Our email address is comments at libertytalkradio.com. Remember, as my wife would say, you're either allowing your liberties to be taken away or you're striving to protect them. Unfortunately, there is no middle ground. Until next time, this is Joe Cristiano. You've been listening to Liberty Talk Radio. Stay well. Stay tuned. No BS here, just the facts. And now we present to you America's quintessential iconic.
This is the smell of a warm three-day-old egg salad sandwich in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag with new Fabuloso lemon scent. Hefty, hefty, hefty! <sighs> smell the difference? When life gives you stinky, get Hefty Ultra Strong with new Fabuloso Lemon Scent. It smells like clean, freshly picked lemons. So no matter what's inside your trash, you can stop the stink and smell the lemon. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.